0: Right, go ahead, have a seat. Ushers are going to come forward. Let's give out of how God uh, has given to us because everything is from God and for God. So today we are starting a new series. It is called A Thousand Years at War because for all of us... Our lives are just one big battle. All of us fight different ways, but whatever is most important is what we fight for the most in life. And and when you're smart, you fight differently. I grew up uh, with two guys who were, uh, one was a year older than me, one was a year younger than me. They were both brothers. They were really instrumental in me coming uh, to make Jesus big. and. In my life, uh, and like brothers, they they fought often. But both of them were super smart. So their way of fighting was worlds ahead of mine. Like mine is you just yell, and then like if it gets really bad, you start swinging at the air because I have no clue what I'm doing. But they thought everything through. They had a plan for everything. So one day it's summer. Mom and dad are gone. They just finished swimming or whatever. So they're just in hanging out board shorts on and a smile, no shirt. Uh, And I don't know if one of them was just messing around or one of them said something to make the other one mad. Uh, But one brother, I don't remember who, uh, got a golf ball, stuck it in a sock and went at the brother. Uh, He didn't hit him or anything. But at, at some point either he stopped his tirade or the one brother talked him down or whatever. He put the golf ball in the sock down. That's a pretty good idea, okay? If you live in suburbia and it's just like you're just mad at your brother, that's, that's how you get it back. Golf ball, sock, everybody has one of those. Easy to solve. So as the golf ball sock brother, the situation had been kind of calmed down. He's not upset anymore. He goes to walk out brother who had gone who had been the recipient of the golf ball and sock thought okay i'm going to fight now also intelligently in this and when you fight smart when you're really really smart you get other people to do your work for you so what he did as his brothers walking away who just came at him with the golf ball and sock all he did was take the family cat and just throw it at his brother wearing no shirt and let nature take its course. So family cat latched onto brother and just stayed until he was done. That is a smart way to fight because really he did nothing. It was the cat. All he did was just kind of put one and two together. Cat, bare skin, gravity pulling the cat down with skin. It's not my fault. I don't know what happened. They didn't really talk about anything after that or how long my friend was grounded for. It might have been years. But we all have our way of fighting. We all have our way of encountering whatever battle we're going into and whatever is going to be ahead of us. We have our way of fighting. For this whole series of a thousand years at war, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. I realize this is first service right after the time change, so the challenge is on me. Let's keep everyone engaged and wide-eyed and awake. I've had my coffee today. Hope you have too. Uh, We're going to be in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 20. And for all of us, fighting Jesus puts us at war every day of our life. We're at war against the devil. We always have been. We always will be. His job is to steal, kill, and destroy everything good in our lives. We're also at war against the world around us. I used to hate that phrase when people would say, well, it's just the world that makes everything bad. Right? You're supposed to love the world. How can we always say that the world is bad? And then I grew up a little and got smart a little and realized there are so many things out there where if we do life coasting and just follow what's around us, we're gonna find ourselves very far, very quickly away from the way that God created us and the way that God wants us to live. So we fight against the world. We also fight against ourselves. If we're gonna be at battle, we're gonna be choosing to live for Jesus every day, which means that we're gonna be fighting everything in us every day we're gonna have to fight ourselves their desires sin born nature in all of us that we fight daily and if you're like well that's just not me then you're a liar and so you fight lying every day there's your there that's your thing right there is that you got to be honest and come to the the rest of us and agree that we what we already know is that sometimes when we fight against evil sometimes we're fighting ourselves but when we live for Jesus, it puts us at war every day of our life. So how do we win this? How is this more than just a 30-minute a pity party of everybody feeling bad for the next three weeks? How do we do this? There are three things. And the first strategy uh, is winning the war begins with sitting. That's all. Winning the war begins with sitting. Like, this doesn't fit. This doesn't work. If I'm going to actually do something and if I'm going to get up and take strides in my life to make where I am different or where I want to be different than where I am right now, the last thing that comes into my mind is just sit there and stay there. Like, like that doesn't work. That part in, in my mind doesn't fit. Sit? What? No, this can't be right. But being a Christian, for us following Jesus, isn't about doing anything. It's about living in what's already been done. Let me say that again. Winning as a Christian isn't about doing. It's about living in what's already been done. Ephesians 1, 19, it says this. It says, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. We're not even in that sentence. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anyone else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. That's the done. That's what's been done for us, is that from the very beginning before creation, there's a war in heaven between our holy God and the devil, and the devil wants to be like God and says that's never going to be the case. And so God sends the devil down into eternal punishment in the places the Bible calls hell, And, and as a way of fighting back and kicking back against that, he tries to take over what's going on in our world here. And so we see the first people ever created Adam and Eve through their own choice because God gives us all a desire to choose to fall, or a choice to choose to follow him or to choose to follow our own desires, they, they inevitably step into sin. It's the same decision that we would have made, the same decision that we have made, the same decision that we make daily, that we're not going to live our lives by what God says. We're going to live our lives by the things that we say are most important. That brings sin into the world. That brings suffering into the world. That brings pain and death into the world. And that brings separation between us and God into the world also. And what God did that was so transcendent and changed everything was he looked at that separation between you and me and him and said, I'm not going to let this stay like this forever. He sent Jesus into that separation. Jesus became our victory over the war on sin. Jesus was victory itself personified. He was like us and God at the same, he was us and God at the same time that he was absolutely completely perfect and still completely human at the same time. And what he did that changed everything was Jesus took our sins on his life and gave his life on the cross. That's why Christians everywhere have crosses everywhere because it's reminding us of the fact that Jesus took our sin, which we completely deserved and earned, onto his own life, which he never deserved, never earned, and he paid the penalty for our sin that we could never pay ourselves. It's a picture of victory coming in and overwhelming our own personal defeat. And so for us, where it gets serious, where it gets real, is when we take that on ourselves and say, okay, Jesus, when you died for my sins, you were really dying for my sins, that they left me and they were given to you. And when Jesus rose from being dead after three days, it's the triumph, it's the announcement that victory is forever his and that we step into that by everything he's done and nothing that we have done. Winning the war begins with sitting. The result of the spirit of, the, of this battle, this done, changes everything in the spiritual world. God raised Jesus up from the dead and he sits him at the place of honor in heaven. That's what we just read. That changes everything from Jesus. He goes from he who never sinned but became sin for all of us and suffered the penalty for that and literally physically died to now he's seated next to the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. And then that also changes everything for us Ephesians 2.6, we're going to read it a little bit later, but I'll skip ahead right now. It says, he raised us, God raised us from the dead along with Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus. This sitting thing changes everything. We win the war because we sit with Jesus and we sit in rest amidst all of the chaos and everything going on in your world. You're here, you're a Christian, that means there are things in your life that are pulling you away from Jesus. And your daily battle is to say, I'm not going to let those things have the victory. I'm not going to let those things have the last say in my life. I'm going to fight against them. But we do that even while sitting. If you had a bad day yesterday, it's not like God looks at you and says, okay, you're off my team, you got to earn your way back. God says, no, 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 I want you to come closer to me, I want you to sit with me. And we'll worry about yesterday, we'll worry about tomorrow, we'll worry about whatever course your life is going to take as you sit with me. We sit and we rest in the midst of war because, with, because we're with Jesus. And the crazy thing about this is that we can't earn this. Everything else in our life we get by earning. But with this, it, it starts with sitting. It starts with accepting what God has done on our behalf. He gave us everything, but we can only receive it as we rest in him, as we rest. Today we get to celebrate baptism, and so right now Brooke is gonna come up and she's gonna share with us what Jesus has done in her life.
1: As you can all tell, I'm clearly sick, so bear with me. My life before Jesus was what most would consider to be a good life. I had a great family, a successful career, really cute kids, and very few outward struggles. It was not until I began attending church that it became clear just how broken my life was. I first asked Jesus into my heart as a high schooler who was active in my church's youth group. I had not grown up in church each Sunday, but had found my way into this group through friends. Our pastor led a prayer in which we could pray silently to ourselves, asking Jesus to become our Lord and Savior. I believed in God and felt good about my choice, but I lacked any conviction or faith in what it really meant. That silent prayer represented my relationship with Jesus until just a few years ago. I believed in God, but did not feel that the church fit my lifestyle. Much of that idea was fueled by my own insecurities, the idea that I was not good enough to be a Christian, let alone a church-going Christian. I convinced myself that I didn't need God because I had all the things that you needed in life. My husband and I had discussed finding a church off and on during the first 10 years of our marriage, and in the summer of 2015, a handful of encounters brought us to Mountain View. We began attending weekly and quickly found ourselves showing up to more and more events. It was during our early times at Mountain View that my marriage took a dark turn. It was in the midst of the worst year of my life that God taught me what it was to trust in his plan and to embrace the fullness of my church family. My life was in shambles, but I had never been more supported or more loved. Proverbs 3, 5-6 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with your, all your heart. Do not lean on your own understandings. I believe this verse was written for the people God created just like me. We are independent and stubborn. We don't need anything or anybody because we've got this. God so clearly used the pain and trial that I was experiencing to show me that I cannot and should not do this alone. When my entire world was wrong, I had no control over any situation. The only thing left to do was to trust in him. When I stepped out in faith, completely against my nature, God rescued me. By God's grace and power, my family has been reconciled, and today we are truly living the good life. To many who know me, not much has changed on the outside. Inside, however, everything is different. I can't even see. Living a life seeking Jesus has impacted every facet of who I am. It has changed all the most important relationships in my life for the better, and it continues to change my heart each and every day. Today I'm getting baptized because it's the next step of surrendering my life to God in joyful obedience.
0: All right, take the stairs on your way down. Thank you. <laughs> can't plan it any better than that. Like, that's a perfect picture of what we're talking about. That it begins with sitting. There's a point where in all of our doing, we can't do anymore. And that's when we sit in what Jesus has done for us. And as the church, we sit in victory together. Verse 22, it says, God has put all these things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It's made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. It's the church. The church is where where, where God gets creative here because God is perfect and holy and always will be. And then he lets humans be his representation of what that looks like on earth. A couple weeks ago, there was a a family who came here for the first time. Uh, They sat like dead center. Uh, And I came up to them beforehand and introduced myself. And like, yeah, we wanted to check you guys out. We live in the area. Uh, We we went to a different church before, but you know, every church has their thing. And so I said, yeah, let us know at the end of the day what our thing is so that we can fix our thing and make our thing better. Uh, And they haven't been back since. So, that's great, but, uh, but, but that's where God gets creative. He says, that I'm going to let myself be known through the church. And you look at that, and you look at other people, and you're like, really? If you look around and you see people that makes you think that right now, just keep those feelings inside to yourself. Don't tell them. But for a second, all of us need to think just of, of the representation that we are of Jesus, and we realize, man, God took a risk on this one. God took a risk with me. And he said, yes, that's exactly what I'm going to do. God loves the church not for what she does, but because of who it is. God says, this is my body. And just as I hold the whole world together and it spins at the exact right speed and at the exact right angle and all those exacts that you learn about in science, God says, this is the way that I'm going to treat my people, the church. I'm going to cover every single one of their blemishes. I'm going to forgive every single one of their sins as they ask it. Where they are weak, I will make them strong. This is God's purpose. This is God's design for the church. And here he says the church is going to be what is God's example of his grace and his mercy to the world. That he's going to fill it with authority and with blessing. And as a result of that, this victory changes who we are, how we think, and what we do. This victory changes who we are, how we think, and what we do. When we sit with Jesus, when we realize that our eternity is secure in him, that our getting from being unholy to being people who are actually holy and leaving behind the past hurts and the past things that are in our past and walking in to a future that God has for us, that changes who we are. When we look at the forgiveness, the price that Jesus paid for a relationship with us to make us more like him, that changes how we think. And we look at the power that God places in us through the Holy Spirit that changes how we live, how we move forward. And for us, we sit in life having been saved from death. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By your very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else Paul uses the imagery of death here. Paul's the guy who wrote this because it's crystal clear. There is no middle ground, all right? It's not like that scene in Princess Bride where Miracle Max says, you've been mostly dead all day. We're either fully dead or we are fully alive. There is no middle ground. And for here Paul is saying there's an absolute black and white difference. You were dead, now you're alive. And he uses the same like verbiage twice to re- reiterate to all of us. We were dead. Well, I was just kind of bad. Like you don't understand, Paul. This is the way it was the 90s, I was in college or whatever. No, you were dead. There's no but you don't understand. You were dead. Dead is dead. like, okay, fine. We get it. We're dead. There's no middle ground, and for us who become Christians, for you, if you're not yet a Jesus follower, you're still living in your sins, and in Jesus, there's a way out of sin. There's an arrow that says, that there's an arrow that points to the cross where Jesus says, you live with me, you follow me, and your past can become your past, and not your present, and not your future. It can become a past. You you, You can find a former life in me. And there's a decision to surrender our lives, to ask Jesus to come in to forgive us. And that's where we move from death to life. And we sit in mercy and unconditional love. We, instead of sitting in death, we sit in mercy and unconditional love. Verse 4, it says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. For it's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ. He's reminding us again, you're dead raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. Again, there's no middle ground. We go from death where we're absolutely dead in our sins to life where we are alive in the forgiveness, the power, the newness, the grace, the mercy that comes with Jesus. He gave us life. There's no middle ground here either. What he's saying here is you are not who you used to be. Regardless of what your past is, regardless of the labels that we put on ourselves, that's not who we are. Saying you don't have to be defeated. You don't have to be this. You don't have to be that. Whatever people have told you you are or you yourself have put on yourself. God meets every single one of those labels with mercy, with forgiveness, with compassion. And we find we're we're adopted. We're loved children of God. We're no longer who we are. We were. We're loved children of God. Uh, John's going to come up now and share with us his story.
2: Hi, I'm John. (laughs) I first became a Christian the first half of 1997. I hadn't grown up going to church, but I ended up going to a high school at Fresno Christian. I liked what I heard about God, and I liked what I saw in my new Christian friends. One day, I was at home alone, and I prayed to become a Christian. I realized Jesus was my Savior, and I needed to be forgiven for a lot of things, so here I am, asking for forgiveness and for him to come into my life. That made me feel pretty great, and I felt like I was at home with God. My junior year, when I had a license and a car, I started going to church, and I got involved as a worship drummer both at school and church. I had Christian friends and Christian teachers, and it was pretty easy to be a Christian at that point. Then I left high school. After a couple of months in college, I joined the military, and in 2003, I transferred to a unit in New York City. I joined a group of quality friends, and in 2005, a few months before I moved back to Fresno, we found ourselves a church in Staten Island and started a new Sunday schedule. First, Dunkin' Donuts, then church, then Boston Market, then TJ Maxx. It was a good few months. I moved back to Fresno, and between 2005 and 2015, I didn't go to church and didn't really involve myself or involve God in my life. My wife, Brooke, and I talked about church and wanting to raise a family of churchgoers, but life always seemed to get in the way. But God being God, he used my best friend, Ruben, and some nice kids from Mountain View who knocked on our door one day to show us where we needed to be. Verse Isaiah forty-three thirteen says, From eternity to eternity I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. No one can undo what I have done. The reason I like that is that though God might let me struggle, I am always his. And he is always there for me to run back to. And he is the perfect father. Today I'm getting baptized because it's time for me to show God what his faith means to me, and it's my turn to demonstrate my faith in him.
0: That verse that Swanson read again, it said, from eternity to eternity I am God. No one can snatch you out of my hand. No one can undo what I've done. That's God's mercy and unconditional love on display for us. Next, we sit in forgiveness. Verse 7, it says, God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Each year, I think, in a lot of our lives, there's that one horribly awkward day on our birthday where people sing to us, and we just have to, like, what do you, I don't know what you do in that instance. Do you sing along, like, happy birthday to me? That seems weird. Do you just have to, like, sit there and wait until the song's over? It's about 20 seconds. That's a really painful 20 seconds in my life. What are you supposed to do there? Anybody have any suggestions? What do you do? I, I don't know, but, but the, there's that instance in this verse Where he says, God points to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. I read that and I think, like, really? Me? God says, yeah. You. But God, like, I had stuff and, you know, like, I still make, God says, yeah, you. But you, just shut up. It's you. It's reminding us forever and forever. That's where we sit. We don't sit as disappointments. We don't sit as regrets. We don't sit as, yeah, God saved them, but you know, there are better examples. No, 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 we sit as recipients of God's forgiveness. People who God has changed in lives that now make him great. And lastly, we sit with his specific purpose planned for our lives. Verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he's planned for us long ago. Man, 10 verses ago, we were dead we were dead in our sins. Remember, there's no mistaking this one. You're either dead, you're alive, you are dead. And in 10 verses, God brings us to the point that we are his masterpiece. We're his masterpiece. We're something that's created with intent. that's created with creativity and a purpose. Our purpose is to accomplish good things that God has planned for us long ago. And if we look at that and we kind of check ourselves again and say, you know, what? I don't know if I can really do God everything that God planned for me. No, 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 God planned them for us because God knows us and God knows exactly what we're capable of. God knows exactly what we're wired and what things excite us. And so God looks at each and every one of us here today and says, they're going to sit with me. And as a result of that, these are the things they're going to accomplish. These are the ways I'm going to use them. These are the way I'm going to use their life and make a difference in them. And the challenge for all of us is that we want to earn everything. We want to earn our salvation. We want to earn our right standing with God, and today we are declaring as a church that's not what's going to happen. That's not going to be our reality. We're not going to try to change the score anymore because the score is already overwhelmingly in our favor. We sit here today not as whatever failures happened yesterday or last week or last month or 10 years ago. When they're given to God, they are given to God, and you will never see them again when it comes to Him. Our past is forgiven and forgotten, and our new life is full of blessing. And God is saying, stop trying to earn, start sitting. Embrace who I have for you. Embrace the life that I have created specifically for you because you matter today. Earning is done, newness, and new life with Jesus is today. Let's stand and pray. Father God, I thank you for the, pure, for the people that you created us to be. I thank you that your death on the cross was sufficient to cover our sin. That your invitation to new life was sufficient for every single one of us today. That there's not a sin we can bring in here that you look at and you're like, man, that's too much for me. And there's also no point where we need to, where we need to change your mind. But you invite us to sit with you in the work that you've already done and enjoy you. If you're here today and you've never made the decision to ask Jesus to become the Lord and leader of your life, your forgiver, if you've never asked him to begin that new life in you, then I want to give you that chance today. You're not saying you're perfect, you're agreeing with every other Jesus follower in here that every one of us has sin in our lives and Jesus came to forgive that. And If that's you, I'm going to count to three and when I say three, all I want you to do today is just stay where you are and raise your hand. And as we close, someone's going to pray with you. It'll be the best decision you could ever make. You're going to ask Jesus to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins. So one, God loves you. Always has, always will. Today, he's calling you to follow him. Two, there are things in all of our lives, mine included, where we push God away. We say, I'm doing this my way. And that's called sin. And Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sin, to end the separation between us and God. And three, today's your day to say, that's me. I'm a sinner who's in need of a Savior, and today I'm ready for that Savior. Is there anyone like that here today? Just look at me and raise your hand. Is there anyone like that today? All right, as we close, we're going to have the front open up here uh, for us to worship and respond, for us to respond with our legs to confirm what's going on in our heart. By the Kleenex boxes, there are these little gold uh, bookmarks. And it lays out our identity of who we are in Jesus. And the best thing about this is I read some of these things and I go, that's a stretch. Because the overwhelming love and grace and acceptance of God on our lives is beyond anything that we could know. He's calling us into that. Next week we're going to work on the actions and everything that, that embody this life with God. Today all we're doing is working on the sitting. This is who you are before you've done anything good. This is where you stand now with Jesus. And if you're the type of person who tries to earn your salvation, who says that God's gonna improve me by these things that I do, then this stuff's for you. For us to come up and say, God, I'm done earning. I wanna sit in the identity that you have for me today. So let's worship and respond. Let's grab one of these, pray through one of these statements a day, and it'll change the way that we look at ourselves, change the way that we relate to God. Let's be a church that worships and responds. They're up here in the front. Let's grab them. let's worship.